Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Abes, we are working for uh, the podcast to share about AEC, about technology. How can you use it? How can you apply it in your projects? And what's the importance and what's the value of, of using technology in, in the AEC field? Uh, today, we have a, a new guest, another guest from Mexico City this time. Uh, uh, so today, we have a podcast uh, between two Mexicans talking in English. Uh, this is because we want to share, we want to uh, reach out to the community and uh, and just keep keep sharing all of the ideas that we have collected between the years of experience. So we have Gabriel Garcia. So welcome, Gabriel. How are you? Uh, hi, Samuel. Thanks. Uh, yeah, fine. Thanks. Here, the other side of the world, working, having a bit of warm weather finally in the Netherlands. But yeah, everything okay, okay. I guess it's a nice warm weather compared to the one we have in Mexico. <laughs> no, man. Not that much. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> yeah, sometimes here, like two weeks, two weeks a year, you can have nice weather. So this is one of those weeks. Uh, perfect time, perfect time to, to do the podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, so thanks, thanks for being with us today, uh, Gabriel. Uh, it's, uh, we have a, a brief conversation last time that uh, before we recorded the, the podcast and based on our conversation, I realized that you have an incredible uh, career and an incredible uh, uh, experience on how you did and apply pro uh, your knowledge to projects. So what, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where have you been? What have you or have you developed in the previous years before this moment in your life? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, a brief about me. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I started in Mexico as an architect. So I have an architectural background as many computational designers. Then um, after that, I moved to Italy for a study and of course for work. And there I started with Rhino, Rhino Zeros, of course, and Grasshopper. And then from there, of course, computational design, game engines, uh, a bit of coding, not that much at that time. Uh, and then of course, working different places around the world, Azerbaijan, Netherlands, Mexico. And uh, yeah, in 2012, 10 years ago already, I started teaching Rhino and of course, uh, Grasshopper and uh, yeah, I think Grasshopper is the, the core, right? Or the, one of the starters about computational parametric design. And then I started, um, yeah, teaching mostly. Uh, I wasn't doing that much. I was mostly teaching and it's crazy because I was teaching, uh, yeah, designers of all kinds, uh, jewelry design, uh, industrial design, car design, interior design. And uh, yeah, at the end, of course, you end up in architecture, doing architectural design, and nowadays, engineering yeah. design, right? <laughs> so nice. yeah, that's a brief story. So so before we go to the to the engineering side, because today we want to talk a little bit about what's the automation and what's the what are the possibilities of computational design for engineers. Uh, most times, uh, we have seen that architects are playing with computational design, with parametric design. And looking at this option, sometimes we see a structural engineers also like uh, using this type of technology for their projects. But there's also a, a lot of field for uh, map systems for the well to people actually developing a structural uh, coding or structural techniques for computational design. 
And that's what we want to discuss today. But uh, I think it will be nice if we can talk a little bit about what was your perception on, in 2012 when you still like teaching right now? And, uh, uh, how do you see this world before? Because uh, 10 years of developing, especially in the, in the, in the field of computation, is a lot. You know, and the, the evolution, uh, I, I guess, has been radical. Or what's your perspective about that? Man, a lot of things happened in 10 years. I, I think my, my whole career passed in those 10 years. I, yeah, I graduated in uh, around 2011, a bit late. Uh, but yeah, I think I passed from discovering Rhino. Of course, everyone started with AutoCAD, SketchUp. And SketchUp, I remember, was one of the first technologies that was around to do 3D modeling. And then I, I don't know, end up with Rhino. And Rhino was the perfect combination of 3D modeling, precision, and and the amazing thing is that you can do very weird shapes, right? Curves and, and, and just modifying contour points. And at the end, you end up with very weird shapes. And uh, of course it was all manual, but then when you discover that you can do that parametrically and you can move the contour points and you can scale or shape, uh, I don't know, adding data or reading data through, I don't know, in the same platform with the same contour points at the beginning, uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, an eye opener for at least for me. It was like I discovered the, I opened the Pandora box, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, after that, I, I I wanted more. I started working with game engines uh, for visualization, visualization in architecture, and then after that, point clouds, right? So I I I liked technology, and um, yeah, I dive deeper and deeper and. I don't know, in, in 2015, I was working in Baku in Azerbaijan with point clouds and scanning 3D buildings nice. uh, because local companies build uh, the concrete structure and then they call on uh, the European uh, architect, for example, an Italian architect to build up the facade or to build, I don't know, to finish the building. And of course, when you get there and they say like, okay, this, the concrete structure is finished, you can start doing the design, the structure is, man kind of crocked or or uh, it's not well done or it's i don't know not as in the plans so the people that was working with marbles in italy they said like i'm not going to do anything if i don't have a reliable drawing from the structure so yeah. the solution was okay go buy the 3d laser scanner fifty thousand euros and <laughs> and go and my job was to scan buildings yeah. scan yeah, concrete structures all around, and then provide the drawings to the to the architects or to the designers in Italy. And man, for me it was like, of course, first world technology. You know, sure. yeah. now point clouds are everyday life. Yeah. Uh, man, and that's I don't know, only ten years, and now we are using computational design to design to make stadiums, to optimize installations, to optimize architecture bridges uh, and everything is data driven. So yeah. man, a lot of things happened from since 2012 till now. Yeah, no, the change the change has been like uh, amazing. Like uh, I do agree with you. Like um, uh, when I start doing this, uh, well, using technology for projects, like uh, I mainly start with being with being workflows. 
And I remember like the pain that it was just to put all the data inside the models. Like there was not uh, any proper use of uh, of uh, of the schedules. But, like uh, it was still really slow if you did everything manual, especially when you were working like in projects where you have a lot of facilities. And uh, it took ages just to fill the data. Nowadays, I mean, you can link with Python, you can link with uh, with by Revit with Dynamo, the information, there's different things that are being, but uh, I mean, just in one software, I, I've seen the, the change now, like you were saying about the point clubs nowadays. Uh, I, I, the, other, the other day, I'm not fully sure, but I heard that you can actually do a point club now with the new iPhone. So I'm yeah. like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the evolution that we have, uh, we, are, we are doing. So, so it's something radical, like, uh, uh, computation is is uh, evolving really fast. It's changing really fast to help us to improve our projects, as you, as you were saying, like uh, to build a better stadium, better facility of hospitals, and you can use computational design to use to do all this construction. But uh, sadly, the industry hasn't evolved as fast as the technology evolves. Like uh, that's where we still have like uh, uh, the gap of how properly can we use so how good can we use the technology that we have to apply it into our projects and well we know architects maybe use them for doing awesome facades crazy shapes you know like uh or like getting a nice analysis and structure and engineers that's like a, another bridge that we have like uh we know that there's like uh probably just some firms that uh and i'm sure there are firms i know some firms that are using technology as well, computational design technology to implement in their projects for the structural calculations, but uh, but that's way more about that. And I guess today is is one of the things that uh, we would love love to hear from your side. Like, uh, what have you seen that uh, that helps engineers to improve their work, and what's the what is the challenge there? What's what's your opinion about this? Um, many many challenges, but I think. Yeah, computational design or parametric design started in architecture. Um, and I have to say that, of course, if, if you search around, if you Google it or, or you go to YouTube and you search parametric design, the first thing you will see, it's a kind of a weird shape of a weird facade or a weird model, right? And, and then that is the design from the architect and then the engineers tend to follow. Or, or I think historically, the buildings were made by architects and the engineers do their part just by following the architectural um yeah the, the architectural guidelines the thing i am seeing now this is the first time i started working for an engineering company one year and a half ago and yeah it's of course there are architects in the company it's a engineering consulting company and yeah, it's it's still in, in that way. I, I have to say that the architect is always leading. Most of our, let's say, clients are architects that got the assignment to do the building and they hire us to do the engineering. But uh, I think that is what I said before, that the architect, that the engineering is following architecture is also changing a bit because a few months ago, I started a new project in which the architect passed by, it, uh, the architect needs to make a, a hospital 
in a hospital, the installations are very, very important. I would say like all the installations that a hospital needs are uh, should be perfect, right? Of course, uh, I would say ventilation, I would say uh, electrical supplies and all the equipment. Um, I don't know, a lot of things. And in this case, the architect passed by and, and said, you know, I would like that you engineers do the design first of your installations. In this case was ventilation or climatization. And I want to understand based on your, uh, on your design, what can I do or what are my restrictions, right? Because of course the architect was already thinking about the distance from floor to floor or the heights from floor to floor. And he said like, I want four meters and then I want two shafts for installations. And then, uh, and he said like, but why are we saying only two shafts or why are we saying four meters height or why are we saying uh, L-shaped building? Uh, I don't know. They were, they started to do as we always do is guessing about, yeah, let's, let's do this. And then of course the, the engineer will give us feedback or will adapt the design, right? So it was very interesting that a lot of things that, yeah, those assumptions in, in which we start an architectural project were broken, right? For example, they said like, uh, there are some uh, climatization in the ceiling, in the false ceiling. They put some heating panels and cooling panels. And the assumption was like always, no, that's super expensive and that will save a lot of space. And uh, it's of course more expensive, but convenient regarding space, etc. And at the end, after a lot of studies with computational design, we understood that the prices are the same because of course it's more equipment, but less ducts, for example. Yeah. And and at the end, the sizes of the ducts were not even that small regarding the all air system or climate system. So yeah, it's amazing that also the engineers, the experts in the field, they are working of course with always traditional ways of working. So Excel files, Excel files everywhere. Sure. And yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course, yeah, of course, Excel files everywhere and at the yeah. end, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was an eye-opener for them to understand that, yeah, it's always good to broke those assumptions since the beginning, try to put a couple of, in this case, was a grasshopper model, because we were coordinating between a structural design, MEP, and architecture. Of course, those three disciplines were combined in a, in a coordination model. And yeah, so they were surprised about the results. and. I, for me, it was like a logic way of thinking or a logic way of doing. It's like, don't do assumptions if you, if you don't have real data. Yeah. And of course, architecture worked in that way for years. So it's not going to change. But if you can do, or if you can start with the right foot with installations and with structural design, architecture will be super easy to follow. And in this yeah. case, architecture was following structural design and in an MEP design. So I don't know, it's also changing and some things are happening also on that side. No, and, and this is this is really, really important because uh, technology is supposed to help us uh, and change the whole uh, typical workflow where sometimes design takes 20% of the, of the job and then actually 
design development and construction documents takes like 80% of the of the project because you are solving all these problems, you are updating uh, all this information. But with technology, you can actually play the other way around. You can uh, have time and use your time to do different iterations that I help you to understand better. And as you were saying, this is this is a key concept when you talk about computation. How can you uh, follow data to to build your project instead of just doing assumptions as the, as the traditional way that we, we build because uh, we do I think that's that's like um a constant all around the world where people say like okay I just need four mirrors I, I just need three mirrors for this project like we keep the thinking that uh that based on what we have seen everything has to be like that and actually technology is supposed it's helping us to uh, to to start like changing the 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 environment and the way we live, you know, like we have 3D printed houses nowadays mm -hmm. and they help us to have a different type of space uh, compared to the typical box or square that we are used to. And with 3D printers, we can have like these beautiful organic shapes that uh, are sustainable in some way that help you to build with different material, um, you know, and Something that is really funny, like for me, is like architects, uh, like big projects are always using like a, a sheet rock uh, in the walls, just because mm -hmm. we have a lot of sheet rock. So let's let's play <laughs> it, right? And and we, we 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 tend to just follow what we see instead of trying to follow what what we can do with that type. And models help us a lot to to realize about that. I don't know if you. Yeah, like, I agree. And and I would like to ask this: uh, How would you recommend uh, a team to use their data? How what, what is the way, what is the workflow that uh, you apply for for a team to understand how to apply the data and how to look at the data? Uh, I think the most important uh, starting point to use data is to understand if you have data, right? Because, for example, if we talk about uh hospital hospital is full of the uh, hospital is full of data it's the example i i used before if you use if you are going to to design an airport for example airport is is full of data flows flows of people flows of baggage flows of airplanes uh and and of course installations and, and structural design is there but so if, and the data is there, actually. So we've been collecting data for I don't know years already. And in 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 a traditional way of working, the data was in the head of the experts. You know, so experts were always like, okay, contact the expert so he will tell you what to do. But the data was not collected, was in their minds. But nowadays, it's on paper or on paper or on on hard disks around. Yeah. So you just need to collect the data figure out what is the best way to use it. And then that is your starting point. If you really want to embrace, uh, yeah, or make a data-driven design. Uh, that is, I think, the most important thing. It's to understand if you need it, because sometimes, I don't know, depend, I, I was working also with urban design uh, before, and the municipality of Amsterdam uh, one of the requirements they asked for a new neighborhood was, okay, we want super highly, high quality of life, right? And, and they said like, okay, we have all the data, right? And when you 
just ask yourself what is how can you measure a high quality of life i don't know it's i can um yeah uh, so i think i can hear you you can you, you meet yourself sorry sorry about that uh, this connection there <laughs> uh, oh, no problem like, but what, what i was saying is is that that uh, so the data is there but sometimes you cannot quantify it or it's very difficult to understand what is high quality for for you that are in mexico for me that i am in the netherlands with both mexican uh, or for other people for a dutch guy that lives here and every, all their lives or of the dutch people they live here so some things you cannot quantify some things you need to yeah. go other ways and you cannot go through data to to the to the main goal but for others like instead like engineering engineering is based on data and i would say like if you ask me what is more difficult i would say our engineering is way easier than make architecture based on data so man it's it's complex in our, in our company we are trying to automate processes for architects and automate yeah. processes for engineers the ones for engineers are super straightforward you can just get the process how they do it in the past 10 years take the data take the process automate it and you you're there for architects it's always design always thinking out of the box you cannot program computers to make them think out of the box that you just mentioned about what uh, how, how do you measure quality of life that's uh, i think that that will be like the next step for projects right like uh definitely there's some things that we can measure uh, really fast with data, like uh, area, like uh, 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 quantities of, uh, of elements, uh, how many trees, how many square meters of floor, uh, and, and multiple things, like how many pipes you need a fountain, how many water, like how, how much water do I need in that? But uh, how can we measure um, how much happiness can we have in that place? No? And I think that once we start like uh, getting together like and understanding more how to use data because that's also another uh, um, uh, not issue but i would say that that's also another like uh, a bridge that we are uh, still connecting like uh, what, what are the things that uh, help us to realize that we are actually enjoying a place like uh, uh yeah. what's it what's the difference of having a good park compared to a bad park like uh both of them are tree and grass and roads right but uh in one of them, there's a lot of people maybe uh, having like enjoying their time or like just uh, doing some activities and stuff. And in the other one, there's nothing happening. And at the end of the day, that cannot be even if it's the same design. And that's not the issue of the design of the park. Maybe that's an issue of culture. Or that's an issue of location. Of uh, I don't know. I'm just uh, uh, giving out some 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 outputs. But uh, in the future, we might be able to measure these type of things. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm happy because I react to, to sound and we can collect data of, uh, of this type of, uh, of uses. Like a couple of months ago, I was in this conference uh, and the speaker was telling, like they, they put like these uh, sensors in the house so they can understand uh, things of the users, like uh, when they, does they enter the house, where was the, sort of, where, where do they pass more time in the house, where, where is the, 
it's like the time that they wake up and turn on lights and I don't know, starting to, to get the ideas of the movement inside the house. And I thought like that was that's that's pretty sweet. Like that's that's really nice. And and I asked him like uh because the house was like in the now the like in the in a nice green area, so I asked him like, have you put any sensors to like me measure like animal movement, like uh, uh, if there's like insects or things like that? And he was like, I really never thought about this, like, but actually that would be really nice to know, also, you know. So yeah. <laughs> we we are focusing a lot also in in us, but uh, what if we what if in the future we we develop information and we can get data that help us to improve the environment where we live right um, that's difficult actually that's the difficult thing to translate that into buildings right because of course the big companies uh, are trying to measure a happiness i would say i don't know if happiness is the right word but let's use that for now for example if you are scrolling on facebook or you are scrolling on, on social media or whatever they are measuring all the time your, your reaction time uh, maybe your likes or whatever, right? They are trying to translate that happiness into data by likes or by amount of seconds you see a video, etc. I in this company I'm working right now, Royal Hasconing, actually. I, I didn't say the name, Royal Hasconing DHB. Uh, we are working also for Amazon. And for Amazon, one of the most important parameters they want to measure, it's the they call it associate experience. And associate experience is basically the experience of the of the people that is working there, and and of course, what are the so how how the the worker experience the building, right? And it's super difficult. So how do you know? So maybe of course you can uh, in other projects, some uh, a client asks us to simulate how much time do you take from the entrance till you find a parking space. Right, and we need to make a simulation about, uh, of course, the, maybe the the time, how many people is in the parking at that time. Uh, I don't know how much time do you take from your from the entrance to the parking spot, and then from from the parking spot to the entrance of the building. So, so translate that happiness or that experience to buildings is very difficult. So, yeah. uh, and of course, we are talking about buildings and buildings for example it's very easy to understand where to place the the sprinklers for example or the the ventilation ducts or the the heat pump or it's very easy yeah. because you it's it's all based on numbers but yeah. when when you are thinking about humans when you're thinking about experiences or when you're thinking about happiness it's super difficult to understand how to measure it and how to transform it into data and uh, yeah of course it's the future and big companies are struggling on doing that i think it's yeah, a lot of investments are doing there. I think that that will be part of the of the next big goal, you know. That because uh, I totally agree on that. Like Facebook, social media, everything can measure everything. You you you, are, you know, like uh, when you look in the internet to get a new item, uh, after two seconds you're gonna see items only about that, like because they they know you you type it, you know, and. And it's a way to, 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 to I mean, it, it makes your life easier. I'm, I'm going to agree with that because otherwise it wouldn't be that successful, like the whole process that uh, has been applied. I think everyone, like every user that uh, has this type of, of technology, there's a reason they keep 
using the, that type of technology. Otherwise, they will put it in a can or in the trash, like happens to other type of technology, because there's a lot of technologies that go out there. Uh, they come with this super radical idea. And sometimes it's about the user, like adopt it. Like uh, if, 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 if it's easy to use, like, to, to be honest, you know, like uh, similar to the point clouds, like uh, just like we were saying, like back in the day, maybe a point cloud, you had to get like a super crazy laser machine and do it. And nowadays you put your hand in your pocket, take it out, boom, right? So there's a, a big difference in that as well. Like I remember um, a couple of years ago, we were flying drones for a project as well. Uh, and we were like, uh, and, well, and we had a couple of accidents with the drones because we lost the sign of the of the, of the flight and the drone just like disappeared. And, and those type of accidents, well, they happen like any any other, with any other type of technology, like uh, not not it's not always perfect, right? But uh, but it's but it's really crazy how it's evolving, and maybe we can measure this. Uh, Collected, therefore, how many time I spend, how many likes I receive, how many searches in Google I get. But in the future, maybe like we get an idea of what makes happy a person, but instead of just measuring the. I think that's uh, that will be the the next goal for that. Uh, that will be like really difficult to get it. But once we get it, then someone's gonna get money from that. <laughs> but but that 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 is only or we've been we've been talking about the the experience of the user right or the end user mm -hmm. but there is another aspect very very important regarding data and it's the decision making from corporates from 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 big big companies uh we are working also for data center companies so uh of course big, now we are talking about data of course the data should should be stored somewhere and there are these huge buildings that uh, they make a lot of controversy regarding the, the energy consumption, regarding, of course, the carbon footprint of the buildings. And I can tell you, so we are doing the buildings for these companies, or we are trying to design. And it's impressive how, yeah, how they do decisions. For example, how they decide where to place the, 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 the data center, or uh, how they, I don't know, decide how many millions invest on, on the building itself, or if they said like, okay, how much cost the, the green facade or the green roof or the ventilation system or all those things. It's impressive for me the, the how they do decisions or based on what they do their decisions. And actually only now, so these buildings have been created for years, and I'm not talking only about data centers. I'm talking about mega mega supermarkets. I'm talking about uh, shopping malls. I'm talking about factories. I'm talking about all these kind of buildings. But only yeah. now, managers and, and and let's say the people that is investors are doing data decision, uh, data driven decisions. Decision. Right? Yeah. So. Only now they come to us and they say, okay, can you do a really quick analysis based on data, based on the environment, based on the building, based on square meters, based on how much carbon, what is the carbon footprint of the building, based on the materials, try to check uh, wood in the structure, steel on the structure, concrete on the structure. And once you do the analysis, tell me, give me an overview and I will make a decision. But that yeah. is happening 
only now, and we call it ADIs, Early Design Insight. And man, it's incredible that all those decisions in the past were made just like by guessing or by risking or by saying, yeah, of course, we can just take, we can make some money, but who cares about the environment? Just go for it, right? Yeah. And only now data is playing a major role on those decisions. So this, this this is super super good point about the decisions. Like, uh, what what are the things that you can actually take a decision with the data? You know, like uh, let's say that I collect uh, how many apples I sell in a store, how many uh, I don't know how many lights, or how many yeah, lights I have in my shopping mall, and what do you do with that those type of decisions? Like, uh, well, basically, what savings? Oh, energy savings of materials uh should i put a better place for my apples because that's my number one product and all these all these type of uh decisions that's still a human based knowledge uh because data won't tell you uh what to do with data with the data you know like uh, the, comp the computational design won't, won't tell you exactly this is right this is not yet well, at least we, we haven't reached that point until my, until, well, until the last time I checked, you know, like you can collect a lot of data, you can see the data, but I think that's really important that that's where this type of uh, data scientist comes up and uh, helps you to understand what is happening with data. Because when you play with data also, let's keep in mind that it's not the easiest thing at the first, at the beginning to actually notice because you're basically, you're seeing like, huge Excel files, to put it in a way, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and what do you do with that? Like that's where it's really important to organize a structure to interpret your data properly. Otherwise you will miss or misunderstand what the information is telling you about your product, your project, or your information. Like a, a yeah. part, part, part of being like part of, um, of saving energy in buildings, it's actually mainly uh, relied to data, not with the type of technology. And um, and that's where machine learning and these algorithms will, will help in the, in the future for buildings to assist that. Like some firms are already trying to apply these type of algorithms to yeah. give a better service, right? Yeah, exactly. Actually, one of the, yeah, something important in this topic is, uh, to understand where is the data, because, uh, for example, you you just say machine learning and machine learning work with no data. It generates the data, and for every iteration, every time the the algorithm is storing data, it's learning more and more, and it's creating more uh, educated guess about something. Right. Um, another thing is like, of course, we we always say like data is there. We are collecting data for years. We just use the data. It's super difficult. So it's yeah. super difficult. Municipalities and governments are always sharing data, and they just put it in formats that nobody can understand. And actually, I did a master in, in um, geomatics for the built environment. It's a, it's a weird master regarding open data, and yeah, it's it's. Uh, so what I want to say with this is like municipalities are using experts or data experts to provide this information to the community, to the people. But the people doesn't have the knowledge to read this data 
right? So what people do and what I do sometimes as well is to generate my own data and work with it, right? So try to, to yeah, not collect, but generate while doing parametric design when we, when, or, or computational design, when we talk about data, is not only about getting the data from the cloud and using it yeah. and putting it in your model. It's make a, make a volume, make a volume of your building or your first case of your building, and then start collecting data, the volume, the, the, the number of levels. For example, you that work with BIM, you know that as soon as you start a BIM model, you have tons of information, the levels, the survey point, the origin point, the grid lines, the views, man, you start working with tons of data right from the beginning without having a building sometimes. Yeah. So it's, what I want to say with this is that it's very important that data is not always, so it, it comes in many different formats and many different ways. And sometimes it doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And you need to create it in order to make a good guess or a good decision about your project or about your 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 yeah your building or what you're doing but there is no such data is it it's becoming a, a world i would say it's many formats many topics it's data about users it's spatial data actually we are talking mostly about spatial data so data that every single piece in the data has coordinates coordinates x y and z and yeah. X, Y, and Z, or could be uh, latitude and longitude, and then you can place it all around the world, or you can place it on a specific point. So that spatial data is very useful for self-driving cars, or for, uh, I don't know, finding parking in a specific building, the geolocation in your phone. So yeah, I think we are using data in a very generic way, but I think re if we are specific regarding architecture, buildings, and construction, and engineering, it's uh, spatial data. And if we go even further, it's data about objects or data about people. So, man, we are talking about uh, very, very big topics here. I think we are deviating, of course. Of the... <laughs> right, it's so good. It's so good. No, but, but it's true. Like, um, uh, for example, like uh, two years ago, I was, I was learning uh, Python skills and, and updating myself with that knowledge. And, uh, and uh, the professor of this course, like he shared share with us, like uh, some some links where you can actually download uh, information for the the climate use uh, of the of the of shopping malls in I think in six different parts of the world. Like what was the consumption they had in these buildings? And um, and, what, and the first thing that came to my mind was like how did he manage to actually store that data? Into the into this environment that he actually is using from these different uh, locations of the world, like that's like heavy, heavy work. Like, because uh, I totally agree with this comment. Like, uh, where do we get the data from? How do we create the data for? Uh, and how are we actually gonna use the data? With? Like, because uh, you know, when you are playing with parametric modeling, well, basically you are creating data. That's you're, you're manipulating parameters and with those parameters you play with geometry and geometry at the same time keeps creating more data that you can keep using for analysis and keeps going right it's like a like a kind of like like a chain that keeps appearing like 
over and over and over. And okay, so what, but, but you have to start like also taking decisions with like we were saying at some moment on how can we actually use this to do this other thing? Just like, can, can I use it to evaluate this other condition? But it's not until, I guess, until you start to get uh, um, familiar with the data that you can actually use it just like at the beginning that you were, we were saying and you were saying like these engineers when they realized that you changed the system and it was the same cost of the traditional system it wasn't until they actually see it that they could understand this uh, uh this pattern right so so i think that that's also that that is that is a part of the effort that we need to do like how can we share with the people and so they can see data, understand data, and see how powerful data can be for our brain. Actually, it's one of the major uh, challenges for the European Union right now. Um, the, yeah, there are, actually there is, so the, the European Union is paying to harmonize the data among countries, spatial data, of course. So basically what they do is like every country collects the data or generates the data they want, and then uh, when you need to, for example, create uh, a road from Italy to the Netherlands, and you see like every time you change country, the, the roads doesn't match or mm. the data doesn't match, right? So, so France is saying that the, the height of the, of the ground is 10 meters above the ground of, of uh, Italy, for example, right? So harmonizing data is, is a huge challenge. And yeah, so yeah, I, I think I, I got lost in, in, in the point, but what I want to say with, with this data is that it's very important that all the data that we use is compatible, right? Mm. Because uh, you were mentioning that uh, you were working on Python, of course, and, and one of your first exercises was to collect, to, to read the data and to do something with it. I did exactly the same, but I was using, when I started learning Python, I used AIS data. AIS data is the signals that every boat or every ship or every, yeah, I don't know, every ship, let's say, in the, in, in the ocean sends to the central, to, to kind of a network of information, right? So every three minutes, a ship is sending a payload. A payload is just a, a huge amount of data, not huge, but it's like a big line of data saying their position, the, what are they doing, the name of the vessel, the, the I don't know, the blade, uh, a lot of information. Doing like a tracker of the travel, right? Like a tracker, of course, and airplanes are doing the same and, and some cars or buses or all the movement, all the, the logistics around the world is generating tons of data at every second. And there are huge efforts on sharing this data in, an, in a uniform way so people can use it. Of course, the, the main goal is always to improve the quality of the built environment or to improve the quality of the environment. Or, of course, always with, good, uh, with a good goal, right? Or, or with, for something good. But... So if I come back to the to the story about Europe that is spending a lot of money on that, is that every country is doing lots of efforts, but 
still they cannot organize themselves to put the data in the hands of the people in a proper way. Not even correct between countries, not even in the right format, not even in, in um, yeah, not even in, in, in an easy way. So, so the Netherlands is, is Mexico is full of open data. I spoke yeah. with a guy in a congress in a conference in uh, Singapore. He was telling me he was working for the EFI. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, the yeah they 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 collect all the data and 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 they are collecting satellite imagery. They are collecting everything. And he was we the whole world that was in that conference was amazed about how much open data and how much information is open source and free for people in Mexico. So Mexico has tons, tons of information, images, uh, data, maps, everything. Everything is for free. Everything you can download. If you just go to the website, you can download. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's not in the right format for people to start using it. Or, uh, I don't know, sometimes the data is huge that, that a normal computer yeah. cannot handle it. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That's another problem of technology. <laughs> or other countries, I was, today, I was searching for, for data from Germany and they asked for money. So it's not free. And it's crazy yeah. that, that, for example, countries like Mexico is offering the data for free. Germany is asking money to get the same data. So for the people, right? For the normal users like us. So, man, you can find a lot of things that uh, doesn't make sense. Those that don't make yeah. sense, sorry. But uh, but yeah, no, no, no. yeah, that, that 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 will be the part of the of the next thing to do. Like, uh, how can we use that data? Like, I agree. Like, Mexico has a lot of open source, uh, has a lot of open data. But uh, still, what is the purpose that you want to use it? Uh, how are you gonna use it? What is the field that you work in? There's many things to say, but like, especially for construction and for. Uh, for engineering, I think that's one of the key points. Like, how can we start actually noticing what is the data that we need? And not just noticing, but where can we collect it? How can we use it in our projects? If it's for a building, are we talking about structure? Are we talking about map systems? I guess, like, uh, something that I really like today about this conversation is that, as, as, as you were saying, like, don't make assumptions before you actually know and have some knowledge of what you, you're going you're gonna to do. And, and and and, it, and that's something really cool also about technology and computational design when you use it in your projects that you can actually go all the way around and change the perspective of the whole project. And even if you actually go and do the whole 360 and 180 degrees on the on the project, and then you land in the same spot where you actually begin, you're gonna realize that there was like a lot of learning and a lot of like change that uh, are improving, even if it's kind of similar to the same point that you started. So I don't, uh, and, and I think it's really hard that you actually land in the same place if you use computational design, but like, I mean, you're gonna have a learn curve that probably is gonna help you to keep improving the next projects. But, but yeah, actually one thing that is very important about that point is that assumptions were made because before you take a lot of time to do a, a proper guess or an educated guess about something. But nowadays with computational design, you take very little. You just need a clever guy behind the computer, put a couple of numbers there, and of course, break that assumption or confirm that assumption. 
right? Yeah. Sorry. But you will you will just go straight forward to the solution, and that's the, the the real advantage of computational design right now, that you can just break those assumptions by, yeah, no, very little effort. Yeah. Totally, totally. No, this has been another amazing conversation. Hope everyone in the audience gets more about these uh, benefits of how to use computational design. How can you apply it in your projects? If you have any questions about this and you want to know more uh, specific about how you use that in your projects, don't hesitate in contact Gabriel Garcia uh, all the way from Mexico, living in Netherlands now because that's life sometimes. <laughs> uh, it takes you all over the world. Uh, and it's it's been a it's been a pleasure and honestly like if you wanna if you wanna know more about this this type of uh, of workflow and how can you implement it in your projects definitely Gabriel is a, a person with vast experience about this type of knowledge that can help you in your projects make your life easier and not only easier but actually improve the quality of your projects so thanks for being with us today Gabriel um, anything you wanna you wanna add for this Ending the episode. No, just uh, thanks to you, Samuel. I think it's uh, yeah, great space to, to share ideas, of course, with uh, shared shared experiences, and yeah, definitely, it's uh, yeah. I love the, the topics that that you have in your podcast. So I don't know. Looking forward to to, to look what is happening in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see more episodes will come. So thanks uh, again to you, Gabriel. Thanks to the audience to for listening to this new episode. We will come back with more episodes for people to keep getting more ideas and understanding more about the computational design. This is just like the basics of what the whole of the whole panorama, the big picture that we play everyday life, and uh, we are making a living of it. So definitely, there's value in it. So keep it keep. Keep trying to, to bring this technology to AC. So thanks to everyone and have a good one. Mm -hmm.